We are in Advent, um, this season um, that's not just leading up to Christmas, but it's really uh, a season of anticipation and expectation, excited for that, and I'm excited to uh, start a new series today. And as I start this new series today, I came across um, information about this Netflix, uh, this Netflix documentary, Who's a Lady Gaga Fan?, I'm not, but I'm just... Anyways, uh, the only thing I remember of Lady Gaga is that um, the most thing is she, she, once she wore a dress that was a piece of meat. That was like a, at least 10 years ago. So she's very, uh, you know, out of the box, um, you know, and she's an actor and a singer. And uh, I came across not the actual documentary, but I, I read about it in an article just kind of giving a review about this documentary of, of Lady Gaga. And really like up and close up close and personal and who she is and what she's about and what, you know, what her life is about and what she thinks about. And this, this line that, that uh, she was quoted in, in her documentary saying, like they asked her a couple of questions, and this one line just jumped out to me as I was reading about her and, and her experience. And she said this, you know, with all the attention and fame that I have received, I still feel like the loneliest person in the world. It's crazy, eh? Think of somebody who's been successful uh, in music, in, in theater, in uh, drama, uh, you know, breaking out of the box in so many different ways uh, artistically, and yet with all the attention and fame she says that I've received, I still feel like the loneliest person in the world. And I'm reading this article, and I literally felt like it was deja vu, and I'm dating myself because um, about 15 or 20 years, no, 20 years, I read this article, it wasn't about Lady Gaga because she wasn't as popular, it was about Madonna, and this show that she would create every year, and she said almost the same thing, that I've pursued, I've achieved, I've accomplished, I've I've broken barriers in my industry, and I still feel like something's missing. Isn't it crazy? It's almost like a repeated incident in people's lives, and it, it makes me wonder that sometimes fulfilling our dream is not always fulfilling. Sometimes fulfilling our dream is not always fulfilling. Have you ever felt like that, that you've pursued something, you've actually fulfilled it, and then at the end of it, there's little satisfaction for you, for your soul, for your life. It made me think about um, this one line that I kept coming to over this week, and it's this, that every soul hungers for hope. Every soul hungers for hope. I get the chance to talk to so many different people, different ages, Um, different social status, different kind of money in the bank. And often I find this to be a common thread among many people is that every soul hungers for hope. Um, Bruce Marshall, 1945, he was a a novelist. And he was, this phrase became famous uh, by, by uh, I think it was G.K. Chesterton. And he said these words, the man who rings the bell at a brothel is unconsciously does so seeking God. And it made me think about the different pursuits in our lives, the different pursuits that really unconsciously we are seeking God because every soul hungers for hope. Today, as we're in Advent, we start this series on hope, hope for the soul, hope for the city. And I'm excited to start it today to get into this and to even call us into the kind of hope we can bring to our city and people around us. And there's this passage of scripture I want to read. It's a story in in Luke's gospel. It's a very popular story. Many of you maybe have heard it or read it for sure, even if you're not familiar with the church. 
And uh, it's a story of, um, of the lost son or the prodigal son. Um, some people call it the prodigal God. But let's, let's read this story. Um, Jesus tells this story after he tells two other stories on things being lost, a coin uh, and sheep. And then he tells this story of a lost son. Let's read it together. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still long off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry, refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and you never disobeyed and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But this son, this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home. You kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found again. Father, as we engage this season of Advent and anticipation um, and this explore this longing for hope, God, not only in our society, but in each and every one of us, Lord, speak to us deeply where we need to hear your voice. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This is obviously a great story, a great passage, a great teaching of Jesus. And when when I read this story, I see basically like two hungry souls. I mean, we could, we could go through this story in depth, but I want to just kind of hover around these two ideas. There's these two hungry people in this story, and their hunger looks different. Their hunger, the hunger of their souls look very different, but they are both hungry for hope. You got the one side, the younger brother, he's like the reckless soul or the restless soul. The younger son comes and asks his dad, basically, dad, I would rather you dead so I can grab your money and leave. That's what it was like in a culture like that. If you told your dad, I want all of my share, you're basically saying, I wish you were dead. I mean, if you're up for an inheritance somewhere and you're saying, like, can I have the money now? You're basically telling your, you know, your family member, could you die sooner? 
right? That, that's what you're saying, right? And so this son is saying, dad, I wish you weren't around. I just want your money. Give me half of my share of the, of the inheritance. And it's an offense to his dad, especially in that kind of culture. And what does he want to do with that? He wants to be free. He wants to party. He wants to pursue pleasure. And we read in the story, he wastes it all. I mean, imagine someone just hands you like, I don't know, $200,000 and it's gone in a month. Imagine what takes place in the life of this guy and then his dad also understanding this. He goes, he wastes it all. He has nothing left, that he has nothing even to eat, that he kind of like looks for work and he can only find work cleaning a pig pen. And his boss won't even give him food that the pigs get. So he's thinking, well, this is crazy. My dad's servants eat. So I might as well go back and, you know, forget the whole son deal, but I'll go back as a servant and just say like, dad, will you hire me? I'll work for you. Don't call me son ever again. I won't call you dad, but can you hire me? I have hands to work. Because he figures that's better than this. So he, he heads back and he heads back repentant. He heads, he, he heads back, you know, confessional. He, he heads back and says, dad, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I'm so sorry. Can I work for you? And then this surprise, right? The dad welcomes him back into his family and they celebrate. I mean, you see the hunger for hope in this young son, right? And you see the hunger for hope in this reckless soul. And it's easy to see hunger for hope in that, right? When someone's come to the end of their rope, when someone has wasted everything, when someone has pursued pleasure to the hilt and, and just kind of drops, you're like, well, yeah, of course he's hungry for hope, right? He loses everything. His pleasure till he drops. His dopamine levels overdose him probably, right? It's like going crazy. And, and, and you think it's extreme, but let's be honest. We have had moments in our life, maybe, maybe not that reckless, maybe as reckless, but there's been reckless moments where we have pursued our own pleasure. And I wonder if at the end of it, like this person sits and just sits alone and says, my soul is still hungry, didn't do anything. I wonder if he's sat at the end of that, at the end of just squandering everything and the pursuit of ultimate pleasure and experienced so many things and then just sits there and thinking, thinking, Man, this didn't satisfy my hunger. This didn't work. And then there's the religious soul. There's the older brother, right? He's the good boy, the good man. He does everything dad wants him to do. He does his work and he works for the family business and he's up early and he, he gets everything done and he restrains himself from the certain things maybe that he'd like. Like he tells his dad, dad, you never gave me anything to kind of party with my friends. He restrains himself from maybe asking or doing those things. He restrained himself. I'm sure he wanted the money. Like who wouldn't want the money, right? He restrains himself from asking for that money and he, he never takes a penny. He fulfills his duty, but then we see him crack in this story, Right? He cracks in front of his dad when he, he finds out there's a party for his younger brother who messed everything up and they're like throwing a party for him and spending money on this, this young kid who ends up just throwing everything away and he tells his dad, dad, how could you do this? How could you, how could you do this? Not just to him, how could you do this to me? I have worked for you and, and did you catch the line there? I have worked like a slave for you all my life. I've worked like a slave for you all my life. You really catch what he's really feeling inside. He's done everything right. He's, 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 he's followed the script. He's fulfilled the obligations. But there is, it reveals this hungry soul in him just the same. 
Different reasons, different scenario, different character, but a hungry soul. He didn't pursue pleasure. He just tried to please his dad. Different kind of pleasure. But he's also sitting alone at the end of the day, thinking, my soul's still hungry. This didn't work. This kind of way to life didn't work. So we have these two hungry souls. The reckless soul and the religious soul. The, the person who, who pursued pleasure and the person who went to please people. The person who comes back saying, I, I'll be a servant. And the one who says to his dad, I feel like a slave. They both longed to be a son, but none of them felt like it. They both longed to be a son, a child of their dad, fully with love, but they didn't feel like it. They were hungry for hope. Because every soul hungers for hope. Every soul hungers for hope. I'm going to choose, sorry, like an, another kind of like celebrity today was Jim Carrey. I came across recently, and, and he's, he's kind of been going through this kind of transformation in his life in some ways, and I was reading a little bit up on him, and, and I came across this, this, uh, this article that, that describes what he's been feeling. And if you got anybody see the Truman show several years ago, it's this movie where he plays this guy who's like in, in a city, but he's the only one that's not an actor. Everybody else around him is an actor. They're in a dome. Everything's fake. And they just work, they work everything to make his life perfect. And he just has to follow the script every day. And, and he, and he, he, when he finally realizes this, I mean, he just goes crazy. So he says that that he says that, that the Truman Show is like a, a, a personal prophecy fulfilled in his own life. He says, I, I was in this movie, and then years later I realized that movie was about me because I was living this life and this perfectly tailored life trying to please everybody and make it and do this and do that, and I realized this, this show, this, this movie was a, a prophecy for me. And he realized that, that he was like, almost living in a bubble. And he writes these words. He says, it taught me what people go through to create themselves to become popular. Not just show, not just show business, but Wall Street or anywhere. You dress up, you act a certain way, you say a certain thing, you lie through your teeth, you do whatever you need to do to look like a winner, crafting a careful image. Again, another person who is pursued, achieved, reached success, Every soul hungers for hope. The reckless soul, the religious soul, the restless soul, all of us. Now, I say the word soul, you might be saying, Dave, that sounds so philosophical or esoteric. And there's a scripture in Hebrews that says that our hope in Christ is an anchor for our souls, meaning the depth of who we are. And so who brings us that hope? And in this story, Jesus points us to this hope And I love this scene because it's the father who brings hope to his sons. It's the father who brings hope to both of his sons. Now, this is interesting, right? Because if you're a a parent and your younger child goes off and just wastes half of your inheritance, how are you going to treat them when they come back? How are you going to view them when they come back? How are you going to talk to them? When they, is there going to be any, any even hesitancy in your voice, in your approach, even though you kind of want to love them, you, know, you want to embrace them, but you're like, you did this to me, you've offended me. The father was not disarmed by his son's disrespectful choices. I'm not saying he was pleased with them or happy with them. He was not disarmed by them. He was not disarmed by the distance that came between him and his son. It, it didn't phase him. He wasn't disarmed by the reckless life. 
Sure, he had probably had an opinion about it. Sure, he probably was disappointed practically, right? Sure, he probably said, half my money's gone, I mean, financially. And even with the older son, right? He doesn't scorn his older brother. He doesn't scorn him for what he feels or what he says. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't highlight his religious pride. Verse 20 in chapter 15 is one of my favorite verses in this story. But while the younger son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And here's this line. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. I love that line. The father sees the son and he runs to his son. You know, he does the same thing with the older brother because the older brother doesn't want to come into the party. And he's standing outside, and it says that the father went out to his older son. He didn't turn around and say to some of his guests, let him be, you know, just whatever, that's his attitude. It'll, it'll, you know, we'll talk to him later. If he wants to miss the party, it's his problem. He goes out to his son, to the older son. And I love what it says when he meets his older son. He says, my son, the father said, you are always with me. You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. In both these situations, the hope comes from the father who is not disarmed or not thrown off by his reckless son or his religious uh, son. But we get this sense that the father runs to them, that the father says, I'm going to bring hope to you. I'm going to come to you. And here we have Jesus telling us this story and painting a picture for us of who God is and what God is about and how God thinks. He's, a, he's like a father who's waiting and looking and running to you and reaching for you and celebrating when you come home. This is the picture that Jesus gives us of God the Father. When we want a picture of God, we look to Jesus and Jesus gives us the picture of who God is. What a beautiful picture of the Father running, going reaching, looking, celebrating. And here's the truth of it. Hope comes running for the hungry soul. Hope comes running for the hungry soul. God came running for you. God came running for me. God, everyone we lock eyes with, because every soul is hungry for hope, everyone we lock eyes with, God has made a way that if if they're running towards him, he is definitely running towards them. Hope comes running for the hungry soul. And I love how Jesus reflects this even a little bit later in Luke chapter 19. It's not a story anymore. This is like a literal moment where Jesus approaches Jerusalem. And this is after, you know, his kind of years of ministry, years of talking with people, years of also seeing the rejection and embrace. But he sees much of the rejection. And as he looks over the city, this is, this is um, Luke 19. As he approaches Jerusalem, he saw the city. Look what happens. Jesus wept for the city. And said, even if you had only known this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. They're missing it. We'll keep going. Is there another slide? I think so. Yeah. The day will come upon you when your enemies will build an embarkment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground. You and the children within your walls, they will not leave one stone or another. Jesus is basically predicting tragedy. But he says, because you did not recognize the time, and what does it say? Of God's coming to you. Luke 15, God, or the father, runs to his sons. And Jesus literally is saying, he's weeping for the city, 
Because they have not recognized that God has been running to them as well. But this is the thing. It's not just one person. Now, this is a city. Because a city hungers for hope. And a region hungers for hope. And Jesus says, if you would have only recognized God's coming to you, hope was running to this whole city, to all of you. But you didn't see it, and you turned away, or you rejected it. See, God doesn't just care about one soul, one person. God cares about a society. He cares about a city. And I want you to notice the overlap in Luke 15 and Luke 19. Both the story and the true description that Jesus gives us is God running to people. God running with hope to people. Because the offer of hope is always before us. And look at, 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 the, at the desire of God's heart. The younger son moving from the idea of a servant to a son. The older son, his identity is that of a slave. And hope for him is, I don't, not, to be, not, to be, not to feel like a slave, but to know that he's a son. From servant to son. From slave to son or daughter or child. That is the identity God wants to f- just to flood our hearts with as we come to Jesus. Now here's the thing, right? Reckless souls or religious souls, they both get stuck with pride. Sure, like the younger son had his prideful moments. And I'm sure it was very humiliating for him in the pig sty thinking, this is it, this is what my life is meant to be like. You know, and he wasn't thinking, my dad's going to take me back. He didn't even have the guts for that. He's like, I could work there. The religious older son, right? His pride just got him. He's like, why should my brother get this? Why should we celebrate for my brother? Why should this dad, this is nuts. You're crazy. And their pride would stop them from receiving, from, from sensing that they are really a son. And our pride will stop us times from really receiving God's love and God's hope as a son or daughter. But I think they both saw the full love of the Father for them, and we see that. And this is the real simple message of Jesus, right? It's the real simple message of Jesus, the reckless or religious. Whether you've pursued meaning through recklessness or you've pursued meaning through religious tasks, whether it's been through pleasure or morality and that's failed, the simple message of the gospel is God came running to you and to me through Jesus. God comes running to us through Jesus. And even if you're a follower of Jesus today and you say, well, I'm a believer, what does that mean for me? There is, I'm sure there's religious pride that creeps up in us from time to time, right? Because we learn something in the Bible or maybe we get something right and all of a sudden it becomes the new standard and then we judge everybody else around us by it. But if you've, you, have you fallen in a reckless decision, even as a follower of Christ? Have you ever fallen in a reckless decision? Have you ever distanced yourself and wondered if God is still there? Even as a believer, that happens, right? And so, but our pride will often stop us from going back to God because God says, you just come. And, and when you come to me and confess your sins before me, I'm faithful and just and I will forgive you your sins. God's running towards us. And he's still running to you. And he runs to the world. And just right in this moment, um, I think it's just a great time. Right in this moment, before we move on to this next part of this message, I want to just invite you to just pause and say, and, I, and just come before the Lord. Say, Lord, have I been running away from you? Lord, have I been looking for hope but, not, but my pride has stopped me? Lord, have I been caught up in like either recklessness or this superiority attitude and that's created distance between me and you? 
maybe you're here today and you're just exploring who Jesus is or you've been tracking with us for a while and, and you're thinking, I want that hope. But you haven't noticed or recognized or really affirmed that God is running to you with hope. So we're going to pause right now. Just come, I'm going to invite you just to take a moment and come to God. Just welcome his hope, welcome his love, welcome his, his run towards you. I'll just pray in this moment for that. Father, you are a God who runs to us. And in this Advent season, we are reminded of your coming to us in Jesus. Wow. Even in our reckless or restless or religious state of hunger, Lord, you didn't, just wait. You didn't wait for us to get it right. You sent Jesus. And even now, God, some of us have pride has crept up or recklessness has, has led us astray and we feel disconnected. We feel far. God, we embrace you. We thank you that you run towards us and we say yes to the hope you want to give us in Jesus. God, if there's anyone even here today just saying, praying this for the first time, longing for hope, that comes from you in Jesus Christ. God is right now in their own words as they tell you that they trust you, that Jesus is Lord, that they turn from their pursuit of hope in different ways but are running to you, God. Lord, may they know that you welcome them and love them as they choose you as you're running to them. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I just wanted to pray in this moment because I think sometimes we're like, hey, this is real. Well, let's embrace it. Let's take it. Let's grab it. Let's trust. Let's believe. If you made a decision for the first time today around receiving hope, please talk to us. Please let us know. Uh, come talk with me or someone that you've come with or leave us a note. We'd love to. I want to I continue this talk briefly because I want us to talk, look at hope in, the, in how not just hope for the soul, but hope for the city. And, and did you catch... Did you catch something in this, in kind of the, the metaphor of this story? This, the, the younger son's walking towards his dad's estate or house or whatever. And, and as, he's, as he's walking towards him, the dad is, is far away and the dad sees him, right? And as the dad catches him and sees him, the dad begins to run to him. But I can, I can imagine this. We've seen this in movies or in real life, right? Two people kind of like seeing each other and then running towards each other. And then there's the meeting point. And what do you call that meeting point? There's that, this, that opportunity, that moment, that place right in time where, where that meeting takes place, where, where, the, where hope is received. And, and I see this kind of meeting point between the son looking hungry for hope and the father running towards the son, and there's this meeting point for the soul. Obviously, we know that's Jesus, right? We know that's Jesus. The father's running, the son is returning, they meet in the middle. Jesus makes that meeting possible. It's the word made flesh. But as I think about our season here at Westside, I think about where we're headed as a church and, and the kind of hope that we can bring to the world around us. I see this beauty that God uses Jesus' church, his church, the body of Christ, to curate those meeting points, right? We're the body of Jesus. We're the disciples of Christ. We're, the, we're a spiritual house. Like Peter told us last week, God is building us into a spiritual house. It's living in local presence right here in our city, in our region, in our neighborhoods, to be a meeting point for people to come 
and find God as they search and God runs. And if we can create these meeting points, these environments, and I want to think about it in that way, that we get to cultivate these environments for people to meet God, for religious people to meet God, for reckless people to meet God, for restless people to meet God, for all of us to meet God. And it reminds me why the church exists. Because we exist, obviously, to gather in Christ's name, but we also exist to create a meeting point for hope. Right? A meeting point for hope. And so many of you know, last week we, we updated you on where we're at with this location and... Um, where we feel that, that we're landing in this new location in, in 2018, just 500 uh, feet from us. And I thought, this new location can become an even greater, more efficient, um, practical, and meaningful meeting point in our city for people that are searching and God that is running towards them. Our church matters for our city, and we play a part. We play a part in that. Some might only know that God is running towards them when they meet people that have already met God. Some might only know that God is running towards them when they hear the message that God is running towards them. Some of them might, my people only discover that God's running towards them with hope when they enter an environment that teaches or, 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 or shares that or lives that out. And so these tangible, physical places like we even are this morning in this rented facility matter. So we become this meeting point for many people to find hope. And we do that through sharing the gospel. We do that through showing the gospel. And I have this beautiful sense that, that, when, that this new opportunity for us in this new location is going to give us even more opportunity to be a meeting of hope. I got this call this week, uh, actually just a message uh, online that, that, uh, um, from um, someone who edits like a really, really popular blog in the area. And they had asked me, they just said, hey, would, are you live streaming your Christmas celebration? And I said, uh, I haven't thought about it. You know, our lighting isn't really set up for that at the moment. And I said, what are you doing? What are you asking me? Do you want to do this? Are you asking us if we're doing that? And she ended up coming actually last year with her family. And she had a one, or just an amazing time in our Christmas celebration last year. She was really inspired and really uh, drawn to what was happening there. And, she, and, and these were her exact words, just over, over messaging, she said, I was there last year. It was so palpable, so real. I, I wanna, I'm going to come back next year. I want to promote it. And I think people who can't show up physically, they should be able to see it. So if you don't mind, I want to live stream it. I said, well, what do you say? Yeah, sure, go for it, right? Let's do it. Let's make it happen. It made me realize, here's these people in, in our culture, in our neighborhoods, our relationships, that recognize even that we create meeting points where people who are searching and God running towards them where they can find hope. And I thought that was just a beautiful reminder for me that didn't come from inside the church. It came from outside the church. Someone telling me, this is real. What is happening here is real. And when you meet, it's real. And I just thought, Wow, that just affirmed in me even this next step for us to rent this new location and to move forward in this way. So, so here's what I want to announce today. We, as we move forward into this new location, by the way, we had great agreement with the lease, and uh, they've given us an extra month of free rent and an extra uh, free month as well to just set up an office there. So that's three free months in 2018, which is really wonderful. And they've, they've helped. Yeah, that's good. Yes, you can, you can clap for that. That's so good. Um, just sitting with the owners this week, they said, yes, we'll do that. They're going to help us a little bit more with some renovation costs, minor, but still really helpful. And then just, just along the way, wherever they can help. So we just left that meeting saying, thank you, God, for, for your provision. And so today we want to kind of officially just ask you 
to begin considering together how we can fuel this, how we can fund this, how we can resource this. Really asking the question, what will I contribute to this? Because we know there's going to be a cost. I laid it out last week, and I'll lay it out a little bit more today. Now, I understand there's some guests here today. Maybe you came for the first time. You're like, hey, do you always ask for money on my first Sunday? And actually, in our 14 years of history, we've never, ever had a capital campaign like this. Never. And so you're here for the first time in 14 years. The ratios are high that it, you know, it doesn't happen every Sunday, right? Um, but but so, so here, we're just glad you're with us and that you're enjoying our time with us today. But as we've been looking at the project, we realize it will cost us a significant amount of money. And we, so I'm going to first do a little shock factor and then go forward. So we think that when we look at renovations and, and equipment and other stuff, that we think over the course of the year, we, sh- we need to be raising about $300,000, and here's, here's why. Now you're like, what? Wait a second. The chairs you're sitting in are not ours. So when we move into a new place, we've got to get chairs. And um, some of the stuff we use here is not ours. So when we move into a new place, we've got to get that stuff. That's in some later phases. But we need to set up walls and set up things for that. And so we've seen three phases over the next uh, year to, to raise this $300,000. In first phase is renovations and necessary things. Like you just, you got to walk in and it has to work, right? Like if you buy a house, the toilet has to work, right? So these necessary things for us to walk in and use this space is phase one. That's the largest phase. Um, and, that, and I'll explain that in a second. The second fr- phase is like needed equipment. You know, how are we going to function in there? Is there tables or chairs or extra things that are really important for us moving forward? Maybe we don't need day one, but we need within the first six months or so, you know? And then the last phase is final touches for like full functionality. You know, like we can handle this without X, but X would be really great for the next seven years. So maybe we'll get that later on in 2018. And as I committed last week, we're committed to doing this as wise as possible with the best stewardship practices possible. But I also recognize we're investing into seven to 10 years right? We're not investing into one year. We're investing into seven to 10 years of ministry in a functional 24-7 access location, right? We rent this space for four hours on a Sunday, five hours on a Sunday, and we have 1,500 square feet on sources. But we're going to be able to utilize 13,000 square feet seven days a week. So, so obviously the investment is, is, matches that and, um, in a modest way, but also the use and, and what we're going to do and, and how we can function out of there is going to be beautiful. So phase one is, prob- is going to be the largest phase, around 150 to 200. And we really are praying and trusting that we can bring this together by February 2018. And then phase two and three will follow later in 2018. And so as, here's my heart as I'm sharing this to you. I know you're thinking like, wow, that's, that, some of you are thinking like, oh, that's, that's okay. That's cool. We can make this happen. I totally believe we can make this happen. I believe that God has brought us together for such a time as this even, and there is capacity within our church to make this happen. Um, but I also see the challenge is high, but I believe the opportunity is even higher. That, that we're, this investment for the next decade or so is going to reap um, fruit and results and joy and love and hope, not only for us, but for the city and the region around us. And as you're praying about this and, and thinking about this, I'm going to ask the band to come up because we want to end in a moment of worship today, and we said we'd end with communion as well. I met with, um, with someone in our, our church recently, and um, he's been coming for about two years to our church community, coming from more of a secular, I would say, background with some nominal, nominal religion in there. And uh, we sat down recently over lunch, 
and chatted. And I just asked him, I said, what's, tell me, what's like, where are you at these days with God? And where are you at these days with understanding, you know, who we are, who God is, what faith is? And he told me two stories. And um, I'll tell you the first story. He said, well, for me, he said, before I started coming to Westside, before I started to really consider what faith in Christ is, I felt like my life was on a treadmill. I felt like I was running and running and running, but I was going nowhere. And, and everything I would do was lacked meaning, lacked purpose, lacked any pieces to this. And then he sat there talking to me and saying, but over the course of the last couple of years and, and more in the last little while, faith has begun to grow in me. And I no longer feel like I'm working and running meaninglessly, but that God is involved and piecing my life together. And as I grow in faith and my family grows in faith and they're actually part of our church community, their family serves on our setup team and they have two awesome kids and saying, there's, there's purpose, we're part of something. And I feel like my activity is no longer restless, no longer purposeless, but meaningful. And I just sat there thinking, wow, that's so amazing to hear that somebody would come into our church community from a background that is not you know, really rooted in faith. And, and, and I love this guy. He's so ambitious and, and, and kind of moving forward in his life in so many different ways. And yet, as faith is growing, it's like, no, no, there's something more important here. And then he told me a story about his two little kids. His daughter, I think, is about seven, and his son is about four. And his daughter was having a really hard time at school through a situation, and she was just getting frustrated and frustrating, and anger was starting to build in her heart towards the kids that were doing some things to her. And, and so it was, it was very, you know, they were delicate as a family, how to deal, deal with this. And one day he tells me, they're in the car, and his daughter starts to vent and just share how she's feeling, and mad at these kids, and mad at the school, and mad at everything. And her four-year-old little brother says, turns to her and says, you don't have, don't worry. Don't you know that, that Jesus is always with you? Don't you know that God is with you at all times and he loves you and he's present with you? And she just, her, her, just, her anxiety just dropped. And I thought, the father, daughter, faith community, meeting point, learning about Jesus, growing in faith, and the hunger for hope is being met. That's why we do this. That's why we move forward in this. And so today, guys, you can start because we're going to move into this moment. And, and I want to just invite you to really consider uh, over the next few weeks what, how God will really lead you uh, to give to this next season. I know that we all give regularly and we're, we need to keep moving that and growing that forward. But we, we want to reach this goal because we feel this is a beautiful investment for the next seven to ten years. And and so my invitation to you in this whole giving at the start of these next few weeks, because we feel like um, before the year ends is a great opportunity for some people to be giving, and then some people might be pledging and giving in 2018. But my first invitation to you is just seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Just come before the Lord and say, Lord, what would you have me do towards nurturing, fueling this meeting point for hope in our city? What would you have me do? Of course, it's going to involve your money. It's going to involve my, my money. I'm telling you, it's, I, Frank and I are committed for it to involve our money. But it's really about our spiritual growth. It's really about our discipleship. It's really about, Lord, what are you doing in me? What are you, how are you challenging me? What is God going to do in and through you in this season of our church? I think it's so exciting. And, and we are, Frank and I are personally committed right now in a season of seeking the Lord. Lord, what would you have us do? How are you going to use us? 
And, you know, there's kind of numbers coming in my mind, in my heart, but I know, I'm just thinking, Lord, you know what? I've been sensing the Lord saying, hey, don't just, don't just settle just yet. Wait, you know, I might be stretching you even more. And, I, and I'm just seeking the Lord on that. So here's some practical things. Um, some might need to feel like they've got to give right away in the next few weeks in 2017. And so we're going to move towards December 17th or our year end as a way for you to do that. And maybe God's already been preparing you that way. Hey, I don't know what God's doing in people's hearts. So that's possible. Um, some of you might need to pledge an amount and then fulfill that in 2018 and be praying and seeking about how that's going to happen. And, and you got to hear from the Lord and arrange funds. Regardless of how that works out practically for you, we just want to let you know, as of today, we want to open up this fund and we want to start raising funds for this next season of our life. And so as we, as we move towards this, I'm going to ask you to, to stand and, uh, and just pray together as we, we pray. So let's stand as we pray. Um, and we're going to tell you over the next couple of weeks, you know, even more kind of specifics and, and logistical stuff around that. But already in our digital giving and in our regular giving, you can, you can put, um, I think we'll call it capital campaign or something. We'll, we'll let you know all the details, but you, there's already something digitally where you can do that. But really today, I want us to just kind of, really a sense of like, I see it this way. Like if I hold my hand out like a cup, and this is not just about... You know, you might be here today and you're visiting for the first time and you're like, well, what does this mean? If I, if I put my hand on like this as a cup, am I giving? No, no, no. I want you to consider this cup, this idea, like this is my life, Lord. This is my life, Lord. Um, what do you want to do in my life? What do you want to do through my life? What do you want to do in my life? And, and I want to I be able to offer my life to you and just and listen for how you lead me, how you guide me, how you direct me. And here's the beautiful thing. Even if you're here today for the first time and this, this exercise is not about money, whenever you say yes to God, God responds and blesses. And so, but if you're in our church community as we're thinking and praying about this next season and, and I, I guarantee that as, as you, you, you put yourself before the Lord and, and say, Lord, what do you want to do with my life? How do you want to use me? How do you want me to give? How much do you want me to give? I guarantee that as the Lord leads you and you say yes, that obedience um, leads to blessing and joy. And so right now as we pray um, and move into a moment of, of communion today, I want us to just surrender ourselves at the beginning of the season of, of raising this capital as a, as a surrender to the Lord, our hearts, our lives, because it's a, it's a discipleship moment for us. So would you do that just whether one of your hands or two of your hands, just cup them together. And, and if, if your heart's desire really is, Lord, do with me as you wish and trust him that the other side of yes is good, then pray with me in this way. God, you are a, a loving God who runs towards us. And Lord, we thank you for this even the image of this meeting point. God, the joy, the freedom, the peace and hope that must have taken place, the meeting point of the Son and the Father. Lord, we long to be a church in everything we do to create these environments, these moments, these meeting points for people that are searching and to discover you've been running towards them all this time. 
And as we um, give ourselves to you and invite you to begin leading us and guiding us in this particular season of raising resources, Lord, I'm the first one here to put my hands before you and say, Lord, do, we, do with me, do with my family, do with my finances as you so wish. And God, give me the grace and the courage that as you begin to lead me and guide me in specific ways that I will trust you that when I say yes, when I say yes, there would be fruit on the other side of that yes. I trust you, God, and bring everything before you. And Lord, for some here today that um, are just here maybe for the first time and they're, they're, their heart is telling them to put their, their, their hand forward like a cup because they want, they want to know you more, Lord. Not, about, not even about giving today, but just about knowing you, Lord. God, I pray that as their heart is postured towards you, that you would flood them with knowledge of who you are, the revelation of your son, Jesus. The amazing life of abundance that is for them in Christ. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.